The Avengers. That's what we call ourselves. Sort of like a team. Earth's mightiest heroes type thing. Avengers, time to work for a living. That's my secret. I'm always angry. I am on the side of life. You get hurt, hurt him back. You get killed, walk it off. I'm here to talk to you about the Avenger Initiative. I'm your host, Andrew, and I'm here to talk to you about the Avengers. Welcome to episode 83 of Some Assembly Required, your podcasting adventure into the annals of Earth's mightiest heroes, the Avengers. This week, we are taking a look at Avengers number 78, The Man-Ape Always Strikes Twice. This week's issue is written by Roy Thomas, pencils by Sal Bosema, ink by Tom Palmer, letters by Sam Rosen, and it comes to us in July of 1970. Before we get too deep into our episode here, I do want to apologize for not getting this episode out sooner. I know I just promised that I would be putting out content more regularly, and then about two days after that, I decided to stay home and take care of my sick family, who lovingly then got me sick. So if I sound a little congested, a little bit sniffly, this is about the best I've sounded in the last two weeks. So I apologize for not getting this episode out sooner. All of my prep work, all of my script work was done about a week and a half ago, and I have just been coughing up both of my lungs ever since. So without further ado... Starting with our cover, I really like portions of this cover, and other parts leave me wanting. I enjoy Man-Ape, Cap, and Black Panther on the cover, but in fairness, the rest of it is kind of trash. The line work for the central figures is very strong, but on the other figures it's very weak, especially Quicksilver and Scarlet Witch. I appreciate the ombre effect in the background, especially knowing that it wasn't done on a computer, that it was done by hand, but it also makes the background very barren and somewhat uninteresting. And then finally the yellow spotlight on the ground around the three central figures is really just kind of dumb, and it's kind of a cop-out for doing something else like an actual street texture or something like that. On a quiet night, Captain America makes his way to the rooftop entrance of Avengers Mansion, responding to a summons by his teammates. Upon his arrival, though, Cap is immediately attacked by M'Baku, the man-ape. The mighty warrior quickly overpowers Cap, but in his arrogance, he's fooled when Captain America feigns unconsciousness and then strikes unexpectedly. Now, I'm not really sure why, but I find the use of a green background for nighttime, especially in a city night sky, really interesting. It works for reasons that I can't quite explain, but seeing it here, I enjoy it. This issue is also wasting no time in getting right down to business. Umbaku attacks within the first four panels, and we are into the adventure of this story. Now, I will admit, it hasn't actually been that long since we've seen M'Baku, but personally, I had forgotten that Captain America wasn't with the team at the time, and we'll get into that a little bit later in the episode, but it makes for some interesting questions that need answering. I also really like the inking job that has been done on M'Baku's fursuit. It does an excellent job of making me believe that it is actually made of fur, and the coloring makes it a lot more interesting than a white costume would otherwise be. And finally, there is a lot of 
great action on these first couple of pages. There is a lot of motion and you get a really good sense of the different fighting styles between the two individuals. Obviously, Captain America is far more acrobatic, far more disciplined, and M'Baku is far more brute force, less of a trained fighter per se, and more of a force of nature kind of brute force power. So, although Cap is obviously no match for M'Baku's unnatural strength, he has bought himself enough time for the rest of the Avengers to join the fight. Rushing to Cap's rescue, Quicksilver and Vision manage to stop Cap from plummeting to his death on the street below when M'Baku throws him off the roof of Avengers Mansion. Now that he's facing the combined might of the entire Avengers, M'Baku ends up fleeing with the help of his former majordomo, Ngamo, and as he escapes into the night sky, M'Baku vows to return and destroy the Avengers at the time of his choosing. So a very confident, very cocky stance, especially for someone who's running away. So while the rest of the Avengers are a little late to the game, it's not actually that surprising given the fact that, as we will find out in a minute, the Avengers had no idea Cap was coming over. With that in mind, Quicksilver's actions and his quick thinking do in fact save Captain America's life. Though there is a moment here where Quicksilver doubts that he's going to save Cap and the expressiveness in his face is so wonderful. There is real panic and terror on Quicksilver's face when he feels as though he's going to fail. And then, of course, the detail in Vision catching the two of them and crushing the pavement beneath him is also really nice. It adds a sense of the force and motion involved in this scene. And again, with comics being individual drawn panels, as opposed to something like a film or a cartoon, you need that kind of imagery in order to convey movement and motion and force in a way that gives the issue really something worth reading. It makes the plot more interesting. It draws the reader in. Otherwise, it's just really, really boring. Having returned to the inside of the mansion, the Avengers begin to fill in Captain America on their previous encounter with M'Baku, and I'm very, very glad that this portion of the issue doesn't last more than about two-thirds of a page, because there is so much that is going to go on in this issue that we really can't afford to waste the page space. This issue actually occurs over a very surprisingly short period of time, really on the matter of hours, so it's important that we make the best use of space possible. And I think this issue does a really good job of that. So in spite of the beating that he inflicted on Captain America, Goliath insists that M'Baku is really a small-time villain and that most likely he was waiting for Black Panther to show up so that he could finish their duel from their previous encounter. Unfortunately, Cap is forced to disagree with Goliath's assessment, given that he has a handwritten note signed by Black Panther, or more specifically signed by T'Challa, urging Cap to come to the mansion. Based on this, it's very clear that even though M'Baku has never met Cap, Captain America was very much the intended target that evening. So now, the heroes can only wait for Black Panther to return, and hopefully get some light shed on this particular mystery. Traveling north of the mansion, up to Harlem, we find Monica Lynn, who you may remember from our previous issues regarding the return of the Sons of the Serpent, and Miss Lynn is expressing her frustrations at the government's inability to help those 
who are most in need. Miss Lynn is a former singer, and she has given up her music career in order to take up work as a social worker after her close run-in with the Sons of the Serpent. As her exasperation reaches its peak, Monica Lynn is surprised to once again see Black Panther. Now, despite initially sharing some tense words over what she believes is Black Panther's lack of devotion to their cause. The two quickly reconcile, and Black Panther vows to do more and to show that the Avengers can be even better friends to their community, specifically the African-American community. Black Panther soon leaves, telling Monica that he would like to speak again once he's reported to the Avengers. However, for Monica, that may be a little long in coming, as just after Black Panther leaves, she is attacked by M'Baku. I really love the idea that Monica Lynn not only has returned, but that the change in her life has stuck. And the reality is that, in fact, she may have taken things a smidge too far when she starts calling out Black Panther. Now, having said that, there is a lot of romantic tension between these two. And one of the ways that tends to get shown in media and pop culture is this back and forth pull between the two characters and these heightened emotions. I like to think of like Han Solo and Princess Leia, but the two of them bicker and banter back and forth as that romantic tension builds. And Black Panther and Monica Lynn have something similar here. As a result of this building romantic tension, Monica Lynn really can't catch a break because obviously she's attacked by M'Baku. And M'Baku makes a hell of a mess of her office. He just comes smashing through the wall. Like it's kind of through the window, but he also takes out a good portion of the wall with him because he's a big dude. Not only does she get kidnapped, her office gets smashed up. The building, you know, has structural damage now. This is going to be a frustrating experience for Monica Lynn. And this is all on top of the fact that she's probably still getting over the trauma from her instances with the Sons of the Serpent. This poor woman is probably suffering from a fair amount of post-traumatic stress. And this is not going to help that in any way, shape, or form. In Avengers Mansion... Black Panther is absolutely stunned when he sees Captain America's note and hears the Avengers story. When he last saw M'Baku, he was crushed beneath a statue, and so Black Panther can only assume that Ngamo and some secret herbs are responsible for the villain's return. And as if on cue, the image of M'Baku appears on the Avengers monitor demanding to fight Black Panther to the death. So again, a continuation of their previous duel in Wakanda. If Black Panther should decline M'Baku's offer, M'Baku then insinuates that he would be forced to harm Monica Lynn, whom he shows the Avengers so that they're aware this is not a hollow threat. Now we get a really great close-up of M'Baku with amazing lines in his face. Like it's, it's unbelievably good. The folds and wrinkles that are shown in his face and the vicious evil sneer his face is drawn into. It is so good, guys. You have to check this panel out. Obviously, the team begins to prepare to mount a rescue mission, and then Black Panther decides that he has to face M'Baku alone, saying that he has to keep his word and face him in single combat. As the chief of Wakanda, his word is his sacred bond, and he's unwilling to break it even for someone such as M'Baku. This frustrates me almost to no end, because this is the second time that Black Panther has demanded to go and face something alone, and has overruled the other Avengers and gone and done it. 
What really bugs me about it is the fact that when other Avengers, like Goliath, when he was still Hawkeye, actually an issue he became Goliath, Black Panther specifically overruled Hawkeye about going out on his own. In fact, it wasn't even going out on his own. It was going out as part of the mission. That is some serious hypocrisy. I get that he is king in his home country, and his word is probably law, but he's one of the Avengers now. The Avengers operate on a very democratic basis, and I'm not sure why the other Avengers are tolerating his imperious behavior. I would expect something like this from Namor. I would expect something like this from Doom. I don't expect this from Black Panther. I think he is a much better king and leader than this, and I think he has a much better sense of hypocrisy and even-handedness than this so it all kind of surprises me that he would pull stunts like this repeatedly. Taking a Quinjet to face off against M'Baku, Black Panther arrives at the designated location and finds a massive helicopter hovering, waiting for him. Black Panther swings aboard the helicopter, only to be ambushed by M'Baku. The Black Panther is alerted to the ambush because of the sounds of the door to M'Baku's hiding place sliding open. It's really odd that Black Panther meets them on a helicopter, and I kind of just have to ask, who has like a major fight on a helicopter? It feels really weird. Like, a helicopter is usually the ending of a fight where the villain's trying to escape and the hero's trying to fight him and stop him from escaping. You know, there are several several good options that come to mind for something like that. We got a little bit of that in the first Ant-Man film, but that also worked a little bit better because they were both so small that it makes the helicopter a much bigger battleground. I mean, quite honestly, in that they were fighting in a briefcase in a helicopter. So again, fighting like this in a helicopter just feels weird. But anyways, as the pair fight, Black Panther uses his superior agility to bring the fight to M'Baku. And while this works for a while, M'Baku is able to land a single punch that sends Black Panther sprawling. Just as Ngamo is about to finish off Black Panther with a mace, Black Panther seizes the weapon and uses it to launch Ngamo at M'Baku and disables the pair. Now, I do have to say that the fighting style between Black Panther and Captain America is very similar, especially when you have them both fighting the same villain, in this case, M'Baku. And I think this is part of the reason that Black Panther has filled Cap's position on the team so well, right? If you remember, Black Panther came into the team when Captain America left the team, and he was specifically recommended by Captain America. And I think this really feeds that idea that Black Panther is a very capable fill-in for Captain America, that he brings a lot of the same skills and abilities to the team so that the team isn't lacking and it's not suffering from Cap's absence. Also, I would love to know if there's a point at which Ngamo is going to stop being a screw-up. Like, I don't think so, because Ngamo is really like the Wakandan version of Toad from X-Men. He just He's a yes man, he doesn't get anything right, and frequently he is the downfall of his master's plans. But, you know, you, you kind of feel for him, you kind of hope that maybe, you know, one day he, he will, he'll get something right. So using this opportunity, Black Panther scours the aircraft for Monica Lynn and eventually finds her trapped in a small room. On closer inspection, however... Black Panther discovers that this is in fact a mannequin, and the dummy then subsequently explodes, knocking Black Panther unconscious. This is a great bait-and-switch that I did not see coming, and I loved it. 
I really enjoy being surprised by things. You know, when you can turn the plot in an unexpected direction, I have a lot more fun. And that was a great plot twist. The flip side of that is, what kind of idiot sets off an explosion on their own aircraft on purpose? Even something like a flashbang could cause serious damage to the aircraft and send everybody plummeting to their deaths. This seems like a really bad plan. I, as the reader, think it's a really fun plan, but from a practical standpoint, this is just a terrible, terrible, terrible idea. Now that he has defeated his foe, M'Baku again contacts the Avengers to gloat about his victory and threatens the remaining Avengers with capture. I don't understand why M'Baku calls them back. Obviously, their lack of knowledge would serve his purpose far better than them being prepared for what is coming their way. But maybe I'm not one to judge supervillains. Maybe they're just operating on a level I don't understand. Now, having arrived at M'Baku's underground lair, Black Panther and the real Monica Lynn are thrown into a small dark room. And in front of the pair is a mantelpiece with little statues of the Avengers. It's funny because all the statues are little golden figures and they look very much like an Academy Award, like an Oscar statue, especially Black Panthers. When he pulls them down, M'Baku looks like he's holding an Oscar trying to accept an award for something. It's an odd feeling. Anyways, I really enjoy, I really love the shot of M'Baku carrying Black Panther down the stairs. I love the angle of the shot because it's it's skewed just a little bit. I love the textures that are used, the detail of the slime and the broken handrail. And I even love the rat in silhouette. That, that really feels like just the icing on this dark, dank, disturbing, disgusting cake. It's an all-around great panel. Our issue concludes with M'Baku clutching the figure of Black Panther and calling out to others that he has drawn first blood. When he wonders about who these others are, Black Panther slowly begins to see several other figures entering the room, and soon he is confronted by the Living Laser, Power Man, Swordsman, and Grim Reaper. The villains declare their animus towards the Avengers, and Grim Reaper announces that the assembled group of villains is known as the Lethal Legion. Now, this is an amazing final page. It gets me super stoked for the next issue. I am really excited about Grim Reaper's new costume because the previous costume was just awful. I'm a little confused, a little perplexed why they're not going with the name Masters of Evil because at least several of these characters have been on the Masters of Evil before, but that doesn't really matter. Lethal Legion has a, a great sound to it, and this is a really good group of capable Avengers villains. Overall, this issue is a dramatic improvement over last issue, which really just felt like nonsensical filler. This issue is packed with a lot of plot, but it's all relevant. The villains are well-defined, and by the end of the story, I've got an idea of what their goal is, and I've been built up nicely for the next issue. Obviously, this story is going to continue into next issue, and I feel like I can just roll effortlessly from this final page into the next issue. As I mentioned, the story takes place over a very short period of time, probably several hours, and the pacing is such that time isn't wasted on worthless stuff, and the important moments are properly drawn out. It gives you a little bit more of a realistic sense, because time feels like it's moving at inconsistent speeds. Obviously, you know, time itself is a constant. Our perception of time is highly variable, where dramatic moments feel like they're being drawn out, and they last forever, and other moments happen very quickly. It moves the plot along, it focuses on the right things, and it doesn't feel artificial. 
Also, the art on this book is really strong throughout. It's not perfect, but there are a lot of really good things. In a few places, though, the backgrounds are almost non-existent. Little things like that, but they are minor complaints when compared to some of the really standout panels that make this issue worthwhile. Remember, you can find us at AvengersAssembly.com, you can follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and you can find this podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. Next episode, we are going to be taking a look at Avengers number 79, Lo, the Lethal Legion. All right, hey. All right, good job, guys. Uh, let's just not come in tomorrow. Let's just take a day. Have you ever tried shawarma? There's a shawarma joint about two blocks from here. I don't know what it is, but I want to try it.